Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Welcome back to the Buzzers, After the Buzzer Sports Talk. Thank you, Maeve, for that little introduction. Yes, we are back with another episode of After the Buzzer Sports Talk. Today's episode, pretty full slate. Uh, first, I'm going to be answering a call uh, from Patty the Pirate. I don't know where these names come from, but Patty the Pirate called in, and I'm going to answer a few of his a few of his questions. Then I'm going to get to the Jalen Ramsey, the Marcus Peter trade, you know, all the trades that went down in the NFL yesterday. Those bonanza of trades. I'm going to get to them. Who did good? Who did bad? Maybe a rant coming. We'll have to see. Probably. Uh, but then I want to get to my NBA top 100 players list. We are finishing that. Not today, but we got two two uh, two segments left, I guess you could say. Today we're getting to numbers 40 through 21. So the juicy part, it's getting juicier and juicier every time. Okay? No, 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 no. 40 through 21? Yeah. I'm right. All right. Sometimes I... All right. Yeah, I thought I did 25 for... No, never mind. I'm good. 40 through 21. And then to end off today's episode... We are going to be looking at every NFL team's chance at winning their division after the first six weeks. So I'm basically just going to take 100%, divide it up uh, how I think. Uh, you know. So, like, for example, Patriots, Bills, Jets, Dolphins. What are each of their chances of winning their, that division? You know what I'm saying? So first, I'm going to answer Ricky the Paul's uh, – uh, not Ricky the Paul. Ricky the Pirates called. It's the first caller in a while, so hopefully some of you get an Anchor Mobile app. You can call in. Uh, it's a pretty cool feature, so let's take a listen to what he has to say. What is up, mate? Party the Pirate here. Just trying to get your expert analysis on some of the newest things happening. So Marcus Speed is getting traded to the – Ravens, well, Jalen Ramsey going to the Rams. Fitting name. Also, do you think the 49ers are a legit team? Nick Bosa, let's go, mate. And also, Jarrett Allen, number 90 on your player ranking list? Mate, you gotta do better than that. Come on now, explain yourself. I couldn't make it that bad if I possibly even tried. <sighs> Thanks for taking the call anyway, though. So, Patty the Pirate, interesting call, interesting name. He's got three questions for us. The first one, I'm going to wait. Jalen Ramsey, Marcus Peters, that's coming in a whole other segment coming up in a few minutes. First, I'll get to the 49ers question, then I will debate you about Jared Allen. Okay, we'll, we'll have our little debate there. Yeah, that's coming, all right? For the 49ers, are they real? I'd say yes. How real? That's to be determined. Are they on the top tier with the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Saints? No. Okay, they're not. They're just not there. Are they a Super Bowl contender? Not a strong one. They are certainly a playoff contender, though. But the thing about the 49ers is how good are they going to be when they get to the playoffs? That remains to be uh, unseen, and that's my question. Because they can certainly make it to the playoffs. And I think they've got a good team. Uh, their defense is overachieved. It's been better than we thought. It's all around been very good, especially at D-line. And offensively, Jimmy G has not been that good. But Kyle Shanahan's made some really good play calls. The defense has been great for them anyway. And he's had just, they've been able to run plays that have helped them. And 
I I look at the 49ers as a legit team. I'm not sure how legit, but they're legit, if that makes any sense. And then you said Jared Allen at 90 was ridiculous. I actually, if this really hurts you, 94. I had him at 94. Now, yeah, I got guys like Jeff Teague over him. We can make a very good debate on how Jared Allen's better than Jeff Teague. I don't deny that. If you want to say Jared Allen's worthy of spot 88, go for it. A lot of these guys matter of inches, especially around this part of the list. It's close. If you want to say Jared Allen is worthy of the 88th spot, that's okay. So if you're saying Jared Allen's worthy of the low 80s and you're screaming at me for it, that's fine. You just don't have to scream at me for it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, fine, fine. You know, it's fine. It brings more energy to the podcast. That's totally fine. But it depends. Where do you think Jared Allen ranks? That's what I ask you, Ricky the Pirate. Where do you think Jared Allen ranks? I think he's great. I, I think he's a great young player. And I think you can certainly make a debate for him being in the low to potentially mid-80s. You have to make a really good debate for the mid-80s, though. He'll definitely climb up this list, but where do you... Ricky the Fire, where do you have Jared Allen on your list? And then your third question is going to lead us into our next segment here. The Jalen Ramsey, Marcus Peters trades. Okay. Three teams involved here. At first... We hear the trade, the Rams sending Marcus Peter, uh, Marcus Peter, Marcus Peters to the Ravens for a bag of chips. And when this trade happened, I said, take notes. That's all I said. I said, just take notes. I got. A, I was a little disappointed inside, but I said, let's let this play out. I've seen this happen. There's got to be something. There's got to, there's a lead. This is a lead up to something. You don't just trade Marcus Peters for... Mr. Young in a fifth-round pick. Kenny Young. Okay? You don't trade a guy like Marcus Peters for a bag of chips and then do nothing after. Take notes. That's all I said was take notes. And then the Jalen Ramsey news came out. So uh, the Rams got their hands on that prize. But first, I'll start with the Ravens' perspective, uh, just because they're kind of the smaller team in this whole scenario. The Ravens here are going to go ahead and grab, again, Marcus Peters. All they have to do is give up Kenny Young, who is a second-year player. In his first year, he had two and a half sacks and around 50 tackles. He's actually a little better than people think. No stud. He'll probably just be an average starter in this league. It's probably a ceiling. Average starter, potentially slightly over average. He'll be nothing special. And a fifth-round pick. And you got Marcus Peters. Now, keep in mind, Marcus Peters only has this one year left on his deal, and he's gone. Or he's in, at least in the market unless you sign him back. Uh, so for the um, for the Ravens, this is mostly just a Band-Aid move. This is a Band-Aid move. They come in here because right now on their depth chart, uh, the Ravens depth chart, I mean, they, they've got a good lot of corners. They've got a great crop of corners. And looking at their cornerbacks, they don't need Marcus Peters next year. They really only need him for this year. Uh, take a look at it. Jimmy Smith has been out so far the whole year. Tavon Young, he's on the IR. And just to make things work, like Tony Jefferson has is on the IR and he's a safety. Just, you know, to go with secondary guys. They've had Marlon Humphrey, and then behind him, they've had guys like Brandon Carr. And overall, whoever has backed up Marlon Humphrey as the number two corner has struggled. Whoever, yeah, whoever's been backing up has struggled. So this is kind of to stop the bleeding. And to kind of just close in the gaps on that defense, because there are gaps. Marlon Humphrey's a very good corner, but with 
uh, you know, Jimmy Smith could come back and be a, a solid corner for them. But the, you know, Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey is very good. Marlon Humphrey's going to somewhat force the ball Marcus Peters' way, and Peters is an interception magnet. So they're going to force more turnovers with Peters, and you sure bet they're going to be a better defense with Marcus Peters. Better than Brandon Carr, whoever they had out there as the second cornerback uh, before. Good trade by the Ravens. Uh, you know, good trade. They gave up a late draft pick and an average linebacker, young linebacker, that's the potential to be an average starter for an elite cornerback to help them this year. Clearly, the Ravens think they can make some noise this year. Are they going to win the Super Bowl? No. Oh, it's not happening. Oh, no, 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 no. The Ravens are not winning the Super Bowl. But they can make some noise with Marcus Peters this year. They don't need Peters next year. No, they don't. No, they don't. They just need a Band-Aid right now to help it this year. And I'm not saying they won't bring him back. I'm not saying it wouldn't be nice, nice luxury to bring him back. But they don't need him next year. They just need him this year. Then we flip over to the Jaguars side of things. Overall for the Ravens, that was a good trade. Uh, Jaguars side of things. Good trade as well. Jalen Ram, I mean, Jalen Ramsey is just such a talent. He's so good. Jalen Ram, mm, Jalen Ramsey is all world, and he's like 24, 25 years old, something like that. And he's all world. I mean, he's really good. And at that young of an age, he's arguably the best corner in the league. He's at least top two, top three already. But he didn't want to be in Jacksonville, so he sits out. So the Jacksonville Jaguars play it, and they play it well. They sit there and say, all right, you don't want to be here. Let's kind of sit you, not trade you, not show any interest in trading you, and maybe he'll be like, you know what, I just want to play football. I'll stay. Because that's what the Jaguars want. They want to keep Jalen Ramsey. But Ramsey sits out for a few weeks. It's clear he still will hold out. And this guy loves football. This isn't just a guy who wants to sit out because he doesn't want to play football. He loves football. So when he is sitting out and not willing to play for your team, well, he was a little willing. You saw him play against the Titans in, what, like week three or whatever it was. But he uh, he just wasn't willing to commit. Like, I'll hold out. I will hold out until you trade me. And then the Jaguars kind of just got that hint. All right, we got to we gotta uh, trade him. And waiting those few weeks, too, gives it more clear on what a value of a first-round pick is going to be. You knew they were probably going to get two first-round picks out of him. So let's wait a few weeks and see... Let's let the value be a little less foggy. You know, like the Minka Fitzpatrick trade where the Steelers gave up their first round pick and it was like unclear what the value on that was going to be? You wait a few weeks, it starts going wild. That's what the, that was smart for the Jaguars. And they get two firsts and a fourth. And yes, it's the Rams. Those two first round picks are going to be later in the draft. This year, it might be early 20s. But for the most part, those picks are going to be later in the first round. If you want the truth, I think this trade was a little overrated for the Jaguars. You got two first-round picks and a fourth, which is great for a player that didn't want to be there, but that was Jalen Ramsey. I think those first-round picks could have been a little more valuable. But overall, I'm not complaining. That was still a solid trade for the Jaguars. And then then we got the Ravens. Uh, not the Ravens. Then we got the Rams. You can't spell Jalen Ramsey without Ram or Rams. But oh, boy. Whoa. The Rams. Oh, the Rams. First, they trade Marcus Peters. Trade Marcus Peters for Kenny Young and a fifth-round pick. At least trade Peters and get, like, Kenny Young in third. Or whatever, Kenny Young. I, what's his name? Kenny Young? Let me look it up. 
But at least, dude, like, I get it. This was supposed to be a lead-up for Jalen Ramsey. So you had this deal in place for Jalen Ramsey and just said, let's just pave the way, make salary work. We won't need Marcus Peters if we make this trade. At least try to get a third. The third and the fifth don't make a difference. You just get two, you know, two rounds higher. The Ravens, find the Ravens. I'm sitting there and saying, I'm still willing to give up Kenny Young and a third for Marcus Peters. Maybe a third's a little too high. Possibly. Maybe in the Ravens' mind. Maybe they see something in Kenny Young that a lot of us don't. But anyway, I mean, Marcus Peters is a beast, so great number two corner to have. That's your number two. But then, you go, not only was that trade bad, you trade Jalen Ram- you got Jalen Ramsey, which is great. But it cost us Now, in my eyes, this trade wasn't as bad as people say. Wasn't as bad as people say. You got Jalen Ramsey. It's going to come at a price. It wasn't as bad as people say, but boy, it was still bad. Oh, it was still bad. Okay. This is my understanding of it. They just, the Rams sat there and said, you know what we're going to do? We are going to give up. Draft picks, draft, you know, two first rounders in, you know, Three more draft picks for, we're basically going to give up two first-rounders and more to go from an elite cornerback to an all-world cornerback. And we'll pick up like a fifth and a a nice little linebacker too. This trade wasn't as bad as people think, but what are you doing? You want to upgrade. I mean, yeah, Jalen Ramsey is an upgrade over Marcus Peters. But if the Rams don't win the Super Bowl, if the Rams win the Super Bowl this year and Ramsey plays a big part, this was a solid trade. Yeah, it's a Super Bowl. I mean, that's the most valuable prize in the NFL. It's the most valuable thing in the NFL is the Super Bowl. But if you don't win the Super Bowl without Jalen Ramsey, this this trade, because mm, it's going to be hard to sign him back. Jalen Ramsey's going to want big bucks, and you're already paying a lot of players. You're going to have to pay some more players. They're going to be in trouble. So when Jalen Ramsey gets the market, I don't know if he's going to come back. So you better win a Super Bowl these next two years. And that's not going to be easy to do. They're out of the playoff picture right now. I'm not saying they can't work their way back in, but just take that for what it's worth. I, I just don't know what the Rams' logic to this was. I, I kind of see, you know, get Jalen Ramsey, make a big move. We're kind of struggling a little bit. You know, get the gears grinding. But you spent all that just to upgrade from elite to all world? I know there's a difference there, but... I mean, come on. Come on. Gotta do better than that. I'm I'm sorry. That's all I'm gonna say. Now we are going to... (laughs) Just like a quick transition. Uh, But now, what did I say we were gonna do first? Oh, yeah. NBA top under players. So we got number 40. The number 21 coming up. Uh, it, uh, I don't know. Uh, first, I will say, I'll go over the rules again. I'll go over my list so far. So if, you, you know, if you're not caught up on any of that, I won't explain you know, the, the picks that, you know, number 41 uh, through 100. But uh, I'll go through the list that I have so far. But now we are going to get to number 40 through 21 on my NBA Top 100 players list. So let's get to that. All right, so quickly, the rules. Uh, no Kevin Love, 
No John Wall, no DeMarcus Cousins due to on and off injuries. Just on. They're on the court. They're hurt. They're on the court. They're hurt. I will include Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson because they were only hurt for a few games. It's not on and off injuries. I still get a pretty clear understanding of them. And also no rookies. No Zion, no John. No, I'm not doing that. No rookies. I think that's a rule that a lot of people have, except for ESPN, because they can put Zion at 40, get all the clicks, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm for clicks, but I want to put some logic into this list as well. Zion at 40. Okay. So, oh yeah, I got to go through our list so far. So, I got, this is starting from 100, Lonzo Ball, Ben Gordon Hayward, Joe Harris, DeAndre Jordan, Bam Adebayo, Terrence Ross, Jared Allen, Jeff Teague, DeJounte Murray, Patrick Beverly, Danny Green at 90, Derek White, Alforak Aminu, Derek Favors, Ricky Rubio, Thaddeus Young, Jonas Valanciunas, Marcus Smart, TJ Warren, Harrison Barnes, DeAndre Ayton at 80, Jaron Jackson Jr., J.J. Reddick, Spencer Dinwiddie, Serge Ibaka, Josh Richardson, Brooke Lopez, Paul Millsap, Kyle Kuzma, P.J. Tucker, Jalen Brown at 70, Otto Porter, Marcus Saul, Gary Harris, Eric Gordon, Demontis Sabonis, Karis Levert, Montreal Harrell, Stephen Adams, Clint Capella, Joe Ingles at 60, Laurie Markinen, Robert Covington, Aaron Gordon, Jamal Murray, Eric Bledsoe, Jason Tatum, Julius Randle, Yusuf Nurkic, Lou Williams, Boyan Bogdanovich at 50, Malcolm Brogdon, Danilo Gallinari, John Collins, Trey Young, Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, Chris Middleton, Nikola Vucevic, and Tobias Harris at 41 is where we left off. So starting this list today, this one might get you a little mad because talent-wise, he's higher than this. But I held Julius, if you remember, I said I'm going to hold Julius Randle accountable a little bit. Not as much as this player, but I had Julius Randle at 53. And I said, talent-wise, he's probably a few spots higher. But his play's never really accumulated for wins. It's not really his fault. He's not the number one guy. But I'm going to hold this player. I, I think it, it, Julius Randle deserves to be you know, held a, a, you know, a little bit. A few spots lower a little bit just because his plays never really accumulated for wins. Devin Booker's at 40. It's going to get some of you mad. He's a, a fantastic scorer. Pretty efficient. 25 points per game at such a young age. 70 points in a loss. But that's just the point. His play never accumulates to wins outside of his fantastic scoring. He really doesn't give you much. But I can say the same thing about James Harden. Outside of his fantastic scoring, he doesn't give you much. Devin Booker actually kind of reminds me of James Harden. If that kind of triggers you a little bit, he kind of reminds me of James Harden. Just a pretty ball-dominant player that people question can it accumulate for wins, mostly just for James Harden in the playoffs. And outside of his dominating scoring abilities as a two-guard, he can't do much. But his scoring ability puts him, I mean, his talent-wise, he's top 30 probably, or at least close to it. But his play just doesn't accumulate for wins. And that's what this NBA is all about, getting wins. It's what sports are all about, getting wins. So you can be great, but if you're not winning, as the number one option, it's it's been disappointing. Number 39, I've got Zach Levine. Please report at him at 90. That got me mad. I like Zach Levine. Okay, I do. This is a guy who can give it to you, scoring the ball, uh, his three-point shots improved. He's an athletic beast. Oh, my God. His athleticism. Oh, my gosh. His athleticism was just crazy. 
not a horrible playmaker, not a horrible rebounder. Doesn't wow you in those categories, though. Uh, mostly just all around an athletic, solid scorer and player. And defensively, I think he's underrated. I think he's an underrated defender. I do. I think Zach Levine's an underrated player in general, just like his duo partner, uh, Laurie Markkinen. I think they're both underrated. I do. I think a lot of those Bulls players are underrated. Zach Levine, I think, is an elite talent in the NBA. The big problem with him is can he stay healthy? Can Zach Levine stay healthy? He he did last year wasn't bad, but years before that, he's he's had trouble staying healthy. And especially when you're athletic like him, you know, when you look at like a guy that really just thrives off skill, injuries aren't as big. Like Clay Thompson's just really a skill type of guy. Or even KD. The injury won't affect them as much. When you're like a Zach Levine or you're an Aaron Gordon, your game thrives off your athleticism and you get hurt, you tear an ACL, that's big. That's a big deal. So one of the, you know, Zach Levine's a hard, hard worker. He's got a great work ethic. He's been able to fight back, but is one of these just going to get to him, get him down, and he won't be able to return from it? Uh, That's the big question that remains to be unanswered. I mean, so far he's answered and said, I can come back from this injury, but... It takes a lot, especially when you rely on athleticism as much as he does. He's just got to stay healthy, and I'd like to see him expand this game just a little more. Uh, number 38, I've got Andre Drummond. thing about Drummond is how unreliable he is Like in the final minutes. Like the, he, when he's the best player in the Pistons before Blake Griffin got there, even now, Blake, Andre Drummond, if they had a lead or it was a close game, final minutes, they couldn't play Andre Drummond, even though he's the best player on the team, or even second best player on the team, because if he got the rebound, they just foul him, and you have to take two free throw shots, and he couldn't make them. That's how unreliable this guy is. But the thing about Drummond is he's the best rebounder in the NBA. He's a solid scorer down low. His rebounding's incredible. It's all world. It's the best in the world. Best rebounder in the game. But outside of his rebounding... Solid post-scoring. Nothing that wows me. He's just got good size, good stability. Stab- uh, why can't I say that word? I, I don't know. I'm just going to ignore that word. But he's just the inside presence. And he can score using his size, his strength, that whole package. He can score off offensive rebounds for sure. Defensively, I feel like he's good. But he's kind of like Hassan Whiteside. Where, yeah, he's kind of one of those guys who can rebound is a good man-to-man defender, but he's not really that great of a team defender. You know, he hacks a lot of players. I feel like he draws a little too many fouls, in my opinion. Uh, he just kind of reminds me of that Hassan Whiteside type. Uh, but Andre Drummond just needs to become more reliable. Like, I don't need you to be Steph Curry at the free throw line. Just be reliable enough that they can play you in the last five minutes. I mean, thinking about that, that, that kind of makes me want to, like, take him outside the top 40. But I can't. I'm not doing that. Number 37, I've got Chris Paul. Chris Paul, I think this year, you know, with his own team, he's going to do better. Chris Paul is getting older. His skill is clearly on the decline. But with James Harden, he was the second guy. Listen, a lot of people think Chris Paul is that type of guy. Yeah, he needs to take a step back. He needs to kind of take the passenger seat. For a contender, I think he needs to take the passenger seat. But in general, I still think he's definitely capable of taking the wheel. Top 40 NBA player. I think he's still worthy of taking the wheel. Defensively, he's inconsistent. Some nights he'll be really good. Some nights, eh. 
that's just because he's getting to that age. He used to be incredible at defense. He's just getting to that age where, you know, injuries are a problem. They're starting to hurt him. Athletically, he's starting to, you know, lose lose a step. But Chris Paul still has nasty handles. He's still got solid scoring ability. He scored 15 points per game as the, you know, the second guard on that team. Like, with James Harden, he scored 15 points per game. He's an incredible passer. He's still one of the best playmakers in the NBA. So, I mean, this guy can run an offense. He has what it takes. He's got the leadership ability. He's got the experience. He's a very good ball handler and can create his own shot, and he's one of the best playmakers in the game. He can take the wheel. Again, for a contender, can he take the wheel? I'm not sure. But in general, can he take the wheel? For sure. Okay, for sure. This year with OKC, he's going to take the wheel. Does OKC want that? I'm not sure. If I'm OKC, I'd rather trade Chris Paul which leads to a few more losses, which helps our lottery odds, and it gives more touches to guys like Shy Gildas Alexander. Uh, but Chris Paul, I think he's still got value in this uh, league, but the things that are hurting his value is the fact that he's quickly declining, he's, his inability to stay healthy, and his horrible contract. That's really what's hurting his trade value. But in my opinion, he's still a top 40 player in the NBA. At number 36, I've got D'Angelo Russell. Boy, do I like D'Angelo Russell. Came into the league, struggles his first year or two, and I said, "Don't, I'm not giving up hope with D'Angelo Russell. I still think he's barely scratched the surface on his potential. I think this guy's got a lot of potential, and I really like it. I did not predict him to be an all-star breakout the way he did with the Nets last season, but I'm just saying, I told you so, be a little patient with D'Lo. Now he's with the Warriors, and it's going to be so interesting to see how he fits with Steph. You know, he was just the first option on a... Uh, team that could, you know, care less. Like, they had such low expectations. They overachieved. They were playing with nothing to lose. Now he's on a Golden State Warriors team that has been nothing but winning, 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 winning. And he's not only – he's not the first option anymore. Steph Curry is. He's probably not even the second option when Clay comes back. It's going to be interesting to see how he adjusts a different type of environment, different type of pressure, and he's playing a different role. He's kind of going back. And again, I think he can play off ball. He did with Kobe, but that's kind of like with the Celtics. You know, they kind of start, you start as this kind of like third option, like he was on the Lakers. Then all of a sudden you become like that first, you're in a size seven shoe. And then you're a young player developing, you get better. Then all of a sudden you're in a size nine. I feel like he's getting asked to go back into that size seven shoe, or at least like a size eight. Is he going to be, you know, how uncomfortable will he be? Will it be just fine or... I, if you kind of get what I'm, uh, where I'm coming from, I use that metaphor all the time. Number 35, I've got CJ McCollum. I think McCollum is underrated, but some people overrate him. If you put him in the top 25, he's just not there. He just is not there. McCollum, to me, I, I respect McCollum. I really do. Him and Dame are really good. But CJ McCollum does nothing outside of scoring. And he scores around 21 a game. He's a good scorer, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, just more, please. You know, I feel like alongside Dame, they're a good fit together, but he doesn't, like, pick up Dame slack. That's kind of what you want. Like, you have an all-star point guard in Dame. You want your shooting guard to be able to compliment him and pick up some of his slack. Dame is looked at as pretty much just a scorer with average playmaking abilities. C.J. McCollum is just a scorer as well. He doesn't pick up for Dame's defensive slack. He doesn't pick up for Dame's some of his playmaking slack. 
and I wouldn't say he really slacks it, but it, like defensively. CJ McCollum is worse than Dame is defensively. He's horrible at defense. I respect CJ McCollum, but I think I think I just don't think he's top 25 or even close to it. Then at number 34, I've got De'Aaron Fox. I love De'Aaron Fox. He's just a humble player. Uh, he's a, he's a little little guy, but he's super athletic, super fast with the ball. Sometimes a little reckless, but that's okay. Usually when I think of reckless, I don't think it's that good. De'Aaron Fox plays one of those good reckless styles. Uh, he can yam at home despite his smaller size. I think he's only a like six foot one. He does need to work on his three-point shot. He's not he's not a very good three-point shooter, but he's very athletic, great at finishing at the hoop. A guy that's probably going to score 20 points per game this season, if not close to it, if not over that. Over that. Uh, he's a very good playmaker as well. Not elite, not you know Chris Paul-esque or Trey Young, you know what I'm saying, that kind of tier, but he's not bad at uh, um, playmaking. Rebounding, he gives as much as he can for a guy his size at his position. And defensively, he's very good as well. Very good defender. All around, a very young, complete point guard. Not complete, but he's close to it for his age and his size. I mean, I'm impressed with De'Aaron Fox, and I really do like him. If I had a chance to build a franchise around him, um, that would be a blast. Then at number 33, I've got Al Horford. Uh, Horford, pretty boring player. Uh, you know, maybe... I should save that statement for another guy that's coming up on our list, but that's okay. Al Horford, I never really realized, I never really, as a Celtics fan, appreciated how good he was. I always said he was underrated, but I never really appreciated him like, oh, he's better than De'Aaron Fox and CJ McCollum. Like, not that way, just because he isn't as flashy, right? But Al Horford is a, first of all, offensively great pick-and-pop player. This guy can shoot the three ball as well as almost any big man in the league. Great shooter from three. Uh, not bad down on the post, but he can prove really offensively. He's more of a stretch big. Defensively, it's totally different. Uh, he, defensively, he's amazing. And he's more of just a post defender, great man-to-man defender. He's an amazing defender, amazing pick-and-pop player that can space the floor if you really need him to. Uh, he needs to improve. Rebounding's not great for Al Horford. Uh, down low scoring's not that great. I like to see him improve in those areas, especially rebounding. I mean, this year he'll be on the Sixers, so it won't matter too much. But when Joel's out, he's literally their main rebounder. When Joel's in, they've got the biggest lineup in the NBA. I mean, you got Joel Embiid to grab your rebounds. Ben Simmons can certainly grab rebounds. Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris can chip in for a few. Won't be a big deal if he gets five rebounds or four. Even for a power forward, that won't be big real. When Joel's out, he's going to need to pick up the slack. It'll be interesting to see if he can. Number 32, I've got DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan's clearly not in his prime anymore. That also means I think uh, LaMarcus Aldridge is better than um, De- DeMar DeRozan. And the gap might be a little bigger than you think. DeMar DeRozan's still a great player. He's probably the best mid-range shooter still in the NBA. Great for mid-range. Couldn't prove the three, though. Uh, defensively... Pretty good. Nothing, he doesn't wow me. Not as good as he used to be, but he's still solid. Uh, but again, he can score the ball. He's a great finisher and great mid-range shooter. If he could just improve that three. It might be just too late. He's already in his 30s, but uh, he's just a respected player around the league, a player Pop likes. He can really give you scoring uh, inside the arc. 
from inside the arc. He can really score. Not a horrible playmaker either, and he gives you the defense as well. He's still a good player in this league, but he's definitely on the de decline. And speaking of declining players, these next two are anything short but de declining. They're the next big thing at the big man position. 31, we've got Pascal Siakam. Beginning of last year, Siakam was so underrated. I remember just sitting there saying, no one even knows who this guy is, and he's going to go on and win most improved player. I mean, he improved in every single stat last year, and that started from the beginning of the year. And I was just like, oh, I love this guy. But as soon as the Raptors really started to get recognition, trade deadline rolls around, you know, they start to pick up on Pascal Siakam, and the playoffs come around. Now, all of a sudden, this guy's overrated. He just went from underrated to overrated that quick. I was like, no. He's still a great player, though. Pascal Siakam is, an first of all, incredible defender. This guy's a versatile defender. Great man-to-man -man defender. I mean, he's just an athletic guy who can play post-defense, man-to-man defense. He can play defense on the arc. Incredible mobile defender. He's, he's awesome. Offensively, he's not bad. I'd say he's a better defender than he's a... Uh, not offender, but uh, better than at defense than offense. But still, this guy can get it done offensively. He's got some post moves. He's not a horrible shooter. I've, he, I've seen him hit some mid-range shots. I've seen him hit some threes. He's got great athleticism. Not great, but he's got very good athleticism that allows him to really slam it home. He's good in transition. Uh, rebounding isn't doesn't wow me, but it's not bad either. He's a power forward. Pascal Siakam, if he can just continue to develop, that's great. But the problem is he's arguably the first option on the Raptors now. I haven't named Kyle Lowry yet, and he's obviously going to be on this list, which means I think Kyle Lowry's a little better than Pascal Siakam. But it's starting to get really close, and they may trade for Kyle Lowry, which makes Pascal Siakam the number one guy. Pascal Siakam can't be the number one guy. He just, no. I'm sorry. Like, Pascal Siakam just reminds me of an amazing third option. Very good third option. That's what he was last year in the Raptors. He was the third guy. It went Kawhi, Kyle Lowry, then Pascal. Amazing third option. In a year, you know, maybe this year, if not next year, he'll be a very good second option on a title contender. Will he ever be a first option on a title contender? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he's a guy that you can build a team around. I think if you're really trying to go for a title contender, Pascal Siakam is that amazing second or third piece. Very valuable second or third piece. I don't know if you can build a championship contender around him, though. I don't know if he's that type of player. Then at number 30, again, I said two uh, amazing young big men. Kristaps Porzingis. Don't forget about Kristaps. I love Kristaps, and I just said I just want to make sure he uh, plays well in this preseason. Yes, he's played really well. Kristaps, a great inside-out threat. The guy can shoot the ball, lights out. He can also – he's got some post moves. He's a little soft under the hoop, but he still's got some post moves. He can still grab, you know, some boards. He's still got some athleticism that allows him to grab those rebounds, play some, you know, somewhat okay defense. Uh, more just, more or less just a scorer with solid rebounding, but he's just a, the unicorn. He's the great, he's a great, great talent with a ton of potential. I just like to see him move a little better, get a little more athletic, First of all, just recover from his injury, then work on the athleticism a little bit, become a little bit better of a defender, a little more reliable on the boards, a little stronger down low. You know, all that. Just kind of build all that up. Then at number 29, I've got Kyle Lowry. <sighs> Some people just really hate on Kyle Lowry and think he's, like, not even top 40. Ridiculous. 
Never look at the box score and tell me Kyle Lowry's not top 40. He doesn't show up in the box score, and that's okay. He's that player that doesn't show up in the box score. That's when the eye test comes in, people, because if you just look at analytics, Sarah analytics, you may not even think Kyle Lowry's top 50. Kyle Lowry can give you scoring when it's needed, not a reliable score, not someone, first option, go give me 25. No. He'll give you 25 every now and then, but he's not a scorer. He can score if you need him to, but it's not his main option. Mostly, Kyle Lowry's a guy who's going to make plays for your team. Playmaker. Offensively, he's just going to make plays for your team. He's going to find the open teammate, make plays, and he's a good enough scorer It keeps the defense honest enough. Defensively, he's great as well. He just makes winning plays for your team. And yeah, a guy, oh yeah, winning plays sounds great, but Marcus Smart makes winning plays for his team, and he's got you've got him in the 80s. Kyle Lowry's a little different, <laughs> okay? He's not as good as a, of a defender as Marcus Smart, but he brings way more offensively. Kyle Lowry's just going to bring that winning charisma to your team. He's going to make those winning plays. Not a fantastic scorer, but he can score when he's called upon. Great playmaker, though. He makes those winning plays. Uh, people ranted on how he couldn't show up in the playoffs. He finally did, and now less less and less haters on Kyle Lowry, which is great. I, I, I think it's great. I mean, 29 may be a little too high for him. You can debate me. He's definitely going to continue to go down on this list. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he gets traded. Uh, I think might be might be that time, but we'll have to see. Uh, number 27. I mean, number 28. I almost skipped number 28. I got Mike Conley. Uh, yeah, I think Mike Conley's a little better than Kyle Lowry. Mike Conley's underrated. That's for sure. I mean, he's been in Memphis. They don't get much recognition. Uh, he was hurt for portions last season, but when he wasn't hurt, Memphis was winning games. Memphis was winning games when he wasn't hurt. Then he got hurt, and that's why their record doesn't look that great. Then he goes to Utah, now he's the third option. Very good third option to have. We're talking about Pascal Siakam being a good third option. This guy is as well. Pascal Siakam's at 31, Conley's at 28. It's close between the two, but if Pascal Siakam's a great third option on a championship contender, so is Mike Conley. I'm just not sure they have the star power, but that's that's okay. Mike Conley, uh, not a very good shooter, but he can take it to the rack, finishes very well. He's a lefty, and he puts up a decent amount of points. He's also a very good playmaker, and he's not a bad defender either. And overall, he just generates wins. He's just a player that doesn't complain, very humble, very likable guy, a very likable player. He doesn't complain, he just generates wins. That's what he does. Number, My number 27 and 26, I don't love. I don't love, but I don't hate either. Number 27, got Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, not loving it. I'm not the biggest Donovan Mitchell fan. I think he's a little overrated. I do. Uh, he's got crazy athleticism. Uh, and he, you know, 23, what do you have, like 23 points per game last season? He's a young player. And he missed the All-Star game, but that's okay. I mean, the guy has a solid, a bit of inconsistent, but a solid three-point shot. But he can really take it to the hoop and score. Not a horrible playmaker either. Solid defender as well. Great young player. People say he's the next D-Wade. I don't think so. I don't think he's the next D-Wade, but he'll be a good player for years to come. 27 to me just seems a little high. Some people put him in the top 25. I just can't do that. Then my number 26, Luka Doncic. I feel like Doncic might have a bit of a sophomore slump. Just a little. Not Nothing big. Nothing big. I think he could be even better than Lee was last season. Just 
he may fall a little short of expectations. But I love Luka Doncic. And even though I want to say he might have a little bit of a sophomore slump, I just remember just the characteristics he brings. He did, He's just different. He plays like he's a 34-year-old vet. I just don't I just don't know. I feel like he's his sophomore season's already finished. But Luka Doncic, the reason I love him, he just shows those little things. He just has the confidence. Uh you know, he believes in himself. If he has a bad night, that's okay. He'll come back the next night and he'll he'll make up he knows he's gonna get a ton of chances. He's not afraid of the big moment. He shows up in the big moments. He hits the big shots. He's a great scorer that can score from all over the court. Uh, he's a very good playmaker as well. He makes some really good highlight plays. He's not very good defensively. The athleticism is the worst part about him. He's LeBron. To me, he's LeBron James without the athleticism and potentially in the end, a slightly more clutch gene. Potentially. Hot take, but that's what I think. Then number 25, we move into the top 25. This is where people really get very interested. I got Drew Holiday. Got it. Never made an all-star game in his career. Yes, I've got him here. I love Drew Holiday. I used to not really like him that much because I thought his contract was bad, but then I dig more into it. That was when I was kind of a little more uneducated. That was a few years ago. Drew Holiday's one of the best defenders in the NBA. One of them. He's one of the best. He's also a guy who quietly put up 21 points per game last season. He's also a guy that quietly put up seven assists last year. So I ask you this. Where do you, just blindly, you didn't know who this was. Where do you rank a guy that's a top five defensive guard in the NBA that puts up 21 points per game and seven assists? Where do you rank him? Top 20, maybe? He's at 25. That's Drew Holiday. I can't put him that high. We have to also remember, he's the first option on a bad Pelicans team. He kind of got the freedom to shoot a little bit. I'm not sure he'll score 20 points per game again. I don't know. I I don't know. But he's still a very good player. He deserves more recognition. I hope he makes an all-star game. I really do. He just doesn't. He's just so underrated. One of the most underrated players in the NBA. So he doesn't really get that recognition. But at number 24, I've got Rudy Gobert. I like Gobert. I do. Uh, He's a guy, one of the best rebounders in the NBA. Not Andre Drummond. Uh, He's close to Andre Drummond. He's not Andre Drummond like the best, but he's one of the best. He's the best defender in the NBA, if not second or third best. He's the best, one of the best defenders is not the best defender, which makes him the best rim protector in the NBA. Outside of his rebounding and defensive slash rim protecting abilities, he doesn't wow you. He's certainly not a playmaker. He's not the most athletic, doesn't run the court very well. And his scoring, he gives you like 15 a night. And he's a tall dude, so his scoring doesn't wow you. He'll give you, you know, 15, 12, and 3. Or, you know, 2 and a half. You know, 2 to 3 blocks a game. But again, he gives you that rim, great rim protection, great rebounding, solid scoring. Very, And he's a young player on the rise. Number 23, I've got, I said Al Horford was boring. Uh, this is DeMar DeRozan's counterpart, LaMarcus Aldridge. Plays a really boring play style, but he deserves recognition. He will not be top 25 by the end of the season. That's my take. He won't be top 25 by the end of the season, but he is now. Aldridge is quietly a solid elite rebounder in the NBA. He's a very good scorer on the low block. He's got a ton of post moves. He's got a great arsenal of post moves. But that's the thing. That's why he's so boring. 
he's a decent rebounder and scores on the post, which is the ton of like these post moves. And no Hakeem Elijah one. I just mean, you know, oh, he he's got a good like, you know, he can post the guy up and go for a layup, or you know, he can a nice spin move on the block. I don't know, just stuff like that. He's just a boring player, and he's not a great defender either, so you're not going to see a ton of highlight blocks from him either. But he's just a respected player. He won't be top 25 by the end of the year, I'll tell you that. But for now, he is. Number 22, I've got Jimmy Buckets. New start with the Heat. He better not get mad and screw this one up because he's got so many opportunities to kind of run his own show. Uh, he's a, one of the best two-way players in the NBA. The guy, Jimmy Buckets, for a reason. He can get buckets. He's not afraid of the big moment. He can shoot. He can drive to the hoop. Got great athleticism. One of the best defenders in the game, too. He's very good at defensively. Outside of his two-way ability, two ability, scoring and uh, defending, it doesn't really get that great. Not really a fantastic playmaker, fantastic teammate, or a fantastic rebounder, but... What he gives you is definitely good enough to be top 25. Some would argue even top 20. And then to wrap off today's list, I got Draymond Green. I know this, some people are going to get really mad about this, but I like Draymond Green a lot. He's one of my favorite players in the NBA. I don't know why. I just really like Draymond Green. I think he doesn't get enough credit. He's kind of another guy that doesn't really show up in the box score. His defensive abilities have definitely declined a little since, and there are a lot of players that have gone on the rise, but he's still one of the best defenders in the NBA. Uh, he's just tough. He shows a lot of charisma. He's a winning player that doesn't always show up in the box score. He's not a horrible scorer, honestly. People think he's like a bad scorer. He's not elite, but he doesn't have to get called upon. Like he used to be the fourth or fifth scoring option on the Warriors. So he's just like, I don't have to score. I'll focus on other things. One of the best playmaking bigs in the business. Maybe the best. He is such a good playmaker. Even led the Warriors in assists last year. And they specifically have a play where he goes to the top of key. And then he has a ton of options, and he always hits the right guy. He's also a very good, uh, not a very good, but he's a solid rebounder, especially for his size. He's an average-sized power forward, and he gives you around eight rebounds a night. He's a solid rebounder, amazing defender, amazing passer. And offensively, he's scoring-wise, he's not that great, but I'm not sure how good he is scoring-wise until I really see him get called upon and take you know a good amount of shots. So that is my top... One, uh, top 100 players so far. One segment left. We got 20 through 1. This is where things get the best of the best. But again, Anchor Mobile app, any questions, any disagreements you have, anything is on the table. Uh, anything you want to get to, anything, again, anything you disagree with that I've already discussed, anything on the table. I just want more callers, but thank you, Patty the Pirate, by the way. But then to wrap up today's episode, I'm going to get to every team's chance in the NFL, and winning their division after the first six weeks. So let's get to that. Okay, so here I'll start with the AFC. And as I said, you'll kind of get the hang of it. You'll kind of get what I'm saying here. But I'm just going to go from AFC, all the AFC divisions. I'm going to go division by division. And you'll kind of get what I mean by taking 100%, dividing it up between the four teams appropriately. It's pretty easy to understand. But if you don't get it, you'll get it real quickly here. First, I'm going to start with the AFC East. We get the first place New England Patriots sitting at 6-0. My chance to win the AFC East is 96%. The Patriots are winning this division. You can call me biased. You might not call me biased. We all know the Patriots are winning the division. They just are. The Bills are in second place. And they're 4-1. But their one loss came to the Patriots. And we all know that if the Bills beat the Patriots, we would have a ser- we'd actually have kind of a discussion here. But I still think I'd pick the Patriots, just not with this whopping percentage. 
but the Patriots always run away with this division. The Bills are putting up a solid year, but it just, we all know it's not going to happen. The Bills, the Bills are second in the AFC record-wise. They're 4-1, and one, and they only have a 3.7% chance of winning their division. That is crazy to think about. Second best record in the AFC. And they're going to continue that because they're facing the Dolphins this week. And then I don't know what they're facing next week, but the week after facing the Dolphins again, they could get off to a 6-1 and one start easily. And they only have a 3.7% chance to win. That's just because of the Patriots. And that's just kind of how it works. Third place, we've got the Jets. They're 1-4. My chance to win the division, 0.29%. A sliver, sliver of a chance. Then we got the Dolphins at 0-5. Might be a little too high, but 0.01%. I know, I know, I know. A little generous, but what can I say? I mean, I know a little generous. I know, I know. Don't hate on me too much, but... I had to give them just a little credit. They technically have a chance. You know what I'm saying. AFC North, we got the Ravens in first place at 4-2. and two. I'm going to give them a 50% chance to win the division. That means between them and the rest of the division, it's pretty close between who's going to win. I'd probably take the Ravens, but it's, pretty, it's actually somewhat close. When picking the Ravens of the field, it's a 50-50 chance in my book. Technically, the more I think about it, I somewhat easily pick the Ravens. So I might bump that up a little more than 50%. But in second place are the Cleveland Browns at 2-4. and four. I'm going to give them the 28% chance to win the division. Uh, I think with the Browns, I look at it like the Bengals aren't going to win the division. The Steelers, it's going to be tough for the Steelers to win the division, although they put a pretty good outing last week. But for the Browns, I mean, they got off to a slow start, but they have a ton of potential, and their division is still pretty wide open. So lucky, lucky for them, that gives them a solid shot. And then the Steelers also two and four. I give them a twenty three point ninety nine percent chance to win, basically twenty four percent chance, which means they get just a little less than one fourth of the sliver. I mean, it's a, that's a quarter, you know, it's one fourth of the division percent chance wise, and that's kind of crazy to think about because the Steelers are playing the third string quarterback and they're only two and four, and they beat the Bengals and the Chargers, who have a combined what two wins. And then the Bengals, kind of like the Dolphins, 0.101% chance. Them and the Dolphins clearly not winning the division. I know a little generous for the own six Bengals, but got to give them a little sliver, tiny crumble, crumb of a chance. AFC South, I've got the Tech. I've got, no, I've got, but the Texans are in first place at 4-2. and Going to give them the 49% chance to win their division of the field. He's got a slightly better percent chance, but everyone in their division is still in it. I mean, their worst record's two and four in this division. Isn't too far off. And I'd say pretty much every team in this division is capable, except maybe the Titans. Uh, but you'll get to the I'll get to the rest of the percentages. Texans just look pretty good right now. Like they're starting to get back on track. I picked them win the division at the beginning of the year. Third place, second place of this division, we have the Indianapolis Colts at 3-2. Chance of winning the division, 29% chance. Colts have been better than I thought. They had two bad weeks there, uh, but then they bounced back. They beat the Chiefs going to a bye week feeling good. After that, Chiefs win, they proved they've got a much better defense than people think. With Jacoby Brissett, they aren't as good as they used to be, but they're still holding up the fort and doing pretty well. I got to give the Colts a solid chance to win this division. 29% chance is not bad at all. Jacksonville Jaguars are in third place at 2-4. and four. I gave them an 18% chance to win this division. Uh, the Jaguars just gave up Jalen Ramsey, but they're starting to adjust not playing with him. 
their defense, with or without Jalen Ramsey, is still pretty good. Uh, with Jalen Ramsey, it's great. It definitely takes a big hit without him, but they're still a solid defense. Offensively, they're not really that good. They're a little stagnant, but Gardner Minshew's definitely keeping their hopes alive because if Gardner Minshew played up to our expectations, they would probably be where the Titans are at a 4% chance of winning the division. Titans are only 2-4. and four. Same record as the Jags, but I gave the Jags an 18% chance compared to the Titans 4. I feel like the Jaguars just have more hope. They feel like they got a little more charisma. It feels like the Titans season's kind of going down while the uh, Jaguars are at least staying afloat, and I think the Jaguars have much more potential to potentially potentially win this division. AFC West. Uh, we got the Chiefs in first place at 4-2, and 76% chance to win their division. Pretty good chance they win. Not as good as the Patriots on whopping, but this is still one of the higher percentages. Chiefs have dropped two games straight, which is a little scary to me, but there's no one really in their division that's going to really take it. The Chargers, really the only one that seemed logical at the beginning of the season, and then they've just been bad. And even to me, they didn't really seem that logical. I had missed in the playoffs. I had them missing the playoffs. But here's where things get a little debatable. Actually, two through four is where things get interesting. Second place is the Raiders at 3-2. They are technically in the playoff picture right now. I gave them an 8.5% chance to win this division. Uh, to me, I just they've, they've got a solid resume. They beat teams like the Chicago Bears. Uh, they played one good quarter against the Chiefs, but they're 3-2. They're in the playoff picture. They've won a good game or two, so I've got to give them some credit and give them a that's not a bad chance. I, it's much better than uh, a chance than I thought they'd have at the beginning of the year. Then in third place, we've got the 2-4 and four Broncos. I can, I'm going to give them a 7% chance to win this division. Uh, and then the Chargers, I have in fourth place, 8.5% chance. Same chance as the Raiders. I mean, real, in reality, the Chargers have much more potential than the Raiders. But the Raiders, I mean, have looked a lot. They've definitely looked better. They've got the much better record so far. So that's where it kind of balances out. Like the Chargers have a lot more talent, a lot more potential. But the Raiders have got the better record. They've looked better. And that's where it kind of balances out. And then just the four Broncos. I mean, 7% chance. And that's the worst chance isn't bad at all. I mean, that's the best worst chance we've had so far. So it's the best worst chance that makes any sense. It won't stay that way. Like, I'll just tell you right now, think about the NFC North. The NFC North, <laughs> there's going to be good percentages uh, for every team, even the last one. Then we'll go over to the NFC East. Uh, I've got the, Cow the Cowboys are in first place at 3-3. Three 44.5% three, chance. Let me just tell you, don't, they don't have the highest percent chance in this division. The highest percent chance to me is the Eagles at 3-3, three and three, who are in second place. They're technically tied for first. I'm giving them a 46.5% chance to win this division. The Eagles, a little bit higher. It's all going to really come down. A lot of it's going to come down to who wins this week. Cowboys or Eagles, that's going to be a huge game on Sunday. Huge game. This could determine the division. Yes, in week seven, it could determine the division. Uh, but the pattern's always been the winner of this division never wins twice in a row. And the Cowboys won last year. Not only that, they've struggled these past three games. Now, the Eagles have their had their mishaps as well, especially these past three games. But it hasn't been as bad as the Cowboys. I personally think the Eagles are going to win this division. So that's where a little bias there, but 2% chance better than the Cowboys. It's going to be close, though. Giants at 2-4. and four, I gave them an 8.99% chance to win this division. Maybe a little too high, some of you might say. But, hey, they're only one game out of it. In reality, they won't win the division, but they haven't looked as bad as we thought. So I'm going to give them a actually somewhat 
chance. A little higher than most, but they still won't win the division. And then the Redskins are one and five, have a zero point uh point zero one percent chance. I know a little too high, but <laughs> that joke's getting old. No more. I won't. I don't know if anyone's yeah, no one has a, that low of a chance anymore anyway. But NFC North Packers at five and one. I'm giving them a forty one percent chance to win the NFC North. I had them coming in third at the beginning of the year. It's looking good in Green Bay. I will tell you, if they lose that Detroit game, this is really hard to choose. Oh my goodness. Like, wow, this gets really, really tough. And it still is to hand out these percentages. Uh, um, I will say our third place team, the Bears, a lot of people disagree with my percentage that I gave them, but we'll have to see. Vikings at two and uh, four and two in second place. I give them the 25% chance to win. The Vikings seem to kind of be picking it up a little bit. Again, if they face a good team, Kirk Cousins isn't going to play well. I've seen this movie a thousand times. But the Vikings aren't playing a good team every week, so they're going to generate enough wins to potentially win this division. Uh, Bears at 3-2, 17 17.5% chance. A lot of people think they should have a higher percent chance than the Vikings or basically the same chance as the Vikings. And yeah, I do have them a little lower. We have to remember, the Bears just lost to the Raiders. They just had the bye week. They can't get anything going offensively. At least the Vikings on some weeks can get both their offense and defense going. The only game the Bears got their offense going was against the Redskins. I'm, at least the Vikings, like... Always, their defense pretty much always plays well, and their offense plays well like half the games, or a little over half the games. The Bears' offense rarely plays well, and their defense always plays well. To me, the Vikings, the Vikings also have the better record so far. I like the Bears. I still think they have a chance to win this division, and I still think in reality it's higher than 17.5% chance, but this division's just so tough. In any other division, they probably have a higher percent chance. Uh, Detroit Lions at 2-2-1. That's a great record. You're in last place and you're a 500 team. They have a 16.5% chance to win this division. The, la the last place team has a 16.5% chance. That is a very, not a very good chance. I mean, that's like 1 in 6. Less than 1 in 6. It's like 1 in 6.5. But I think 1 in 6 is like 1, it's like 18.6% or something. No, no, I'm right. 16 point, let me see, it's 33. It doesn't matter, but it, you know what well, you know what I'm saying. I mean, in reality, they have like a one in six chance of winning this division. And they're in last place. That Cardinals loss really hurts. They just win that game, and they're three and two. Oh, it looks even. Imagine they pulled out that Cardinals game, which they should have, and they pulled out this Packers game. Wow. I mean, even if they just win the Packers game, this is getting this gets really tight. But this NFC North is going to be a very interesting race. NFC South. The Saints are in first place at 5-1. and one. I'm going to give them a 78% chance to win this division. Uh, I mean, at this point, they're winning games without Drew Brees, with Teddy Bridgewater, and it's clear they have a very good, complete roster. They have one of the best defenses in the league. They've got a lot of playmakers on offense. With Drew Brees, they're going to get even better. Their offense is really going to start putting up points again. They're going to win this division. Panthers are 4-2. and two. I gave them an 18% chance. Not a big believer in the Panthers, especially to win the division. I think they can make some noise, maybe be around 8-8, eight and eight, but... Uh, just winning the division, especially over the Saints. I'm not really sure how I see it, but the Bucks, two and four in third place, 1.3% chance. And then the Falcons in fourth place at one and five, they give it 3.7% chance. They have a better chance than the Bucks because, yeah, they're only one game back. We still got over half the season. If they fire Dan Quinn and bring in a new head coach, uh, they could they could potentially start winning games again. And they just have a lot more potential. Like the Bucks have potential. Like James Winston is like potentially an NFL definition of potential. But 
easy. We've seen what the Falcons can do when the units are clicking and their defense plays a good game like it did against the Eagles. We know what they can do. The Bucs just don't have the potential to win this division. And it's kind of like the situation with um, the – what was the other one where I had like a uh, lower record team having a better chance? Uh, let me find it. Oh, yeah, like the Chargers and Raiders. Like they're even because the Chargers have more potential. You know, you know what I'm saying? Then our last division, NFC West. I've got the, well, the 49. This is close. Between the top three teams, it is like a game of inches. San Francisco 49ers are in first at 5-0. I gave them the 34% chance to win this division. Seahawks in second place at 5-1. I also gave them the 34% chance. It is neck and neck between those two. The Seahawks have lost one game. 49ers have lost none. But at the same time, I think the Seahawks have had a slightly harder schedule. It's very close between the two. Okay, very, very close. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. The 49ers have a slightly better record, but the Seahawks have looked very good as well. Then right behind them at 3-3, three and three, I've got the Rams at 31.7. The Rams have the most talent in this division and have the most potential. And despite their 3-3 three and three record, record-wise, they've got a bit of a gap, and that's created just a small gap percentage-wise, but they've got the best talent and the most potential in this division. So that, that keeps it close. And then the Cardinals at 2-3-1. Isn't even that bad for last place. They've got a 0.3% chance of winning this division. So that is going to wrap for today's episode. Around an hour. My voice hurts a little bit now. Yeah, basically an hour. Thank you guys for listening. Again, calling on the Acre Mobile app. Go follow my Instagram at After the Buzzer Sports Talk. Again, that's at After the Buzzer Sports Talk. All lowercase, no spaces for podcast updates and sports content. So thank you guys for listening once again. Uh, got to a lot today. Uh, again, NBA season's coming up. I'm going to get out my NBA predictions. I want to touch up on the NHL. MLB playoffs coming to a wrap. Cardinals let me down. Oh, I'm going to rant on them. Somewhat. Yeah, probably, that'll probably be a rant, because why not? Uh, but anyway, that's going to wrap up today's episode. Once again, thank you guys for listening, and I hope to see you guys next time.